For member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Caitlin Kim, here with my colleagues, Benta Berklin and Andrew Kenny. And in a first, we're all together here in Denver. Yay! Hi, guys. Yay. It's so great to actually have you here with us. And I'm glad to physically be here with you (laughs) and not see you guys on a screen. That's right. We're real people. So today, it's an election grab bag episode of sorts. Uh, Ballots have arrived, people are voting, and candidates are making their final pitches for why you should support them. So we're going to talk about some of the races we've been watching closely this cycle. That's right. We're going to talk about the Senate race, the presidential race, some of the congressional races, and probably the most important part of this process, what the voters are saying. Now, we're taping this on Thursday, October 15th. Things will have changed by the time you listen to this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think the first up, of course, the race that we have to talk about is the race to represent Colorado in the U.S. Senate. In the last few weeks, Senator Cory Gardner, the Republican incumbent in the race, and former Governor John Hickenlooper, the Democratic challenger, met for four debates. One was only streamed online. Another, hosted by Telemundo, was overdubbed into Spanish. And the other two were televised, including one we co-hosted. So what did you guys think? Um, From what you saw, did Gardner make his case enough to sway the purplish parts of this state? Well, first off, only two of the debates were really widely broadcast. And so it's not clear how many people tuned into these debates. But Mm -hmm. if they did, I didn't see anything that drastically changed the course of of the race. I think both men made pitches that we've we've seen them make. Uh, They disagreed on everything from the country's handling of the pandemic to filling the Supreme Court vacancy, uh, how to address climate change, their own records. They are both running as bipartisan candidates who will go to Washington and be productive. But President Trump in control of the Senate just looms so large in this Mm -hmm. race. And we we saw that in some of the debates, too. Yeah, it's hard to keep the bipartisan nice guy message rolling when you're such a nationally important race in such a politically divisive time. Mm -hmm. You saw John Hickenlooper trying to pin down Gardner for his longtime support of President Trump. And meanwhile, Gardner tried to reflect it right back by pinning Hickenlooper to this discussion about, oh, are they going to expand the Supreme Court? Mm -hmm. Is he going to join Democrats in changing some of the rules of governance? Right. And I think for me, the the question that was the most telling and showed sort of the corner that Gardner was backed into was the ethics and morality question. But I'm curious whether you believe that your opponent here is a moral and ethical man. Mr. Gardner, do you believe that of Mr. Hickenlooper? Well, thank you. I have grave concern with Governor Hickenlooper. It's a yes or no question, sir. Uh, I, look, I have grave concern about his contempt, <laughs> how he can stand in front of us and say there are only two We're charges. We're not going to filibuster the yes or no. Thank you. Mr. And then when they followed up with, the, do you think Trump is an ethical and moral man? And Hickenlooper says no, and Gardner says yes automatically. I think even for some Trump supporters, that's hard to to, to swallow because, you know, he, he is... He is flawed, as a, I think I think we could all agree he's a very flawed person and, and, and you candidate. You from plenty of supporters. Yeah. I don't like what he says or does as a person. Exactly. And I think that's, that's again, like Gardner can't show a lot of daylight between him and Trump. And that question for me sort of summed up the corner that he got backed into or has backed himself into, however you want to put it. Yeah, I think I was going to say, I think Gardner's done a good job of highlighting some of the policies he's passed and things mm-hmm. he's done in Colorado, mm-hmm. whether it's the Great Outdoors Act. But- for some voters I've talked to, it's it's not even about that. It's it's bigger than that because this is a key race that mm-hmm. determines which party controls the Senate. And how does Gardner separate himself from the president when so much of this 
election is about the president. That's right. He's answered this question in the past of how do you stand on Trump by saying, I support what we did together. I'm proud of the work that we have done for Colorado to bring a space command to Colorado Springs, to open up the Bureau of Land Management headquarters here. I'm proud of the work that we've done. You know, casting himself as Colorado's representative who helped get things done with Republicans. Mm -hmm. But the question is, does that argument still stand up if Republicans aren't in power and Gardner doesn't have someone to work with. Well, but Gardner also says that he worked well with Obama when he was in mm. when president Democratic president uh, Barack Obama was in power. So, you know, that's that's been his whole entire argument about being bipartisan. He can work with either president. But I, I do agree with what you're saying. Like, that is the argument Gardner has to make. Like, it's not whether or not I, I like Trump or I think he's the best person mm. and always says the right thing. I know how to work with him and get stuff done for the state. And I think everyone has said that There are going to be voters who will vote against President Trump and will vote for Gardner. The question is how many people will fall into that category. And then if Trump ends up having a large deficit in Colorado, there's there's just not going to be enough people that will split that ticket. Well, you know, speaking of the debates, the very first one hosted by the Pueblo Chieftain, only 5,000 people were watching that at any given time. Now, more people went back since and watched that and more people saw these debates on TV It is, as you said, Benta, a really small number of folks, but maybe it's those dedicated hardcore voters who are still making up their minds and who actually may split their vote. Maybe these debates could change something. Who knows? You see, I I think it's not going to be the hardcore voters. I think it's going to be the sort of the low information voters who are finally tuning in saying, you know what, I like what Gardner's done on this, or I remember Hickenlooper being good on that, Mm. that might might be doing it. But we're going to all find out after Election Day (laughs) who those voters really are, right? Yes, we'll find out well enough. Oh, yeah. So what do you guys think about Hickenlooper's performance? Did he make his argument in his case? I think in some ways the bar was a little bit lower for Hickenlooper. He's branded himself as not a typical politician. And I haven't talked to anyone who who doesn't think that Gardner is a better debater than Hickenlooper. Mm. Uh, That came across. But I didn't see Hickenlooper make any obvious huge blunders or mistakes or something that has been like a meme on repeat or, you know, nothing dire happened for Hickenlooper. I think he did a pretty good job of staying level-headed and and making the main points he had to make. The funny thing about Hickenlooper and the bar is he literally took the bar, picked it up, and lowered it for himself because he said throughout the debate, okay, Corey's really good at talking. He says a lot of words. He can respond in the moment to these debates. Hickenlooper set the expectation that he himself is really not a great debater. Um, I think there was one really good example to me of the way that Hickenlooper in some ways just isn't fast enough to keep up with Gardner on a debate stage, verbally, I mean. And it was that Gardner was trying to criticize Hickenlooper, saying that Hickenlooper also wanted to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. This is part of Gardner's overall strategy of sometimes getting to the left of Hickenlooper and criticizing him from like a left point of view, which is mm-hmm. really interesting. Anyway, he was saying that Hickenlooper had joined with Republican John Kasich to introduce a health plan that would replace the ACA and and cast Hickenlooper again as not a friend to the ACA. And there was a clear response to this, which is just that Hickenlooper and Kasich were trying to improve the ACA. But Hickenlooper essentially conceded the point. So did you or did you not introduce a plan with John Kasich? That's, That's the simple question. By just rolling his eyes dramatically at Gardner. Okay, time. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the next question. Um, Trying to get across the point that like you're saying nonsense, but not verbalizing it. And I think there were some times where Hickenlooper could have had a stronger response on the ethics violation. He, you know, he said, yes, I paid the fine. It was inadvertent. But in one of the debates, he, I thought he came across a little dismissive. Well, we're really, in fact, uh, two minor reporting errors. Uh, 
they were inadvertent. Uh, the Denver Post referred to them as an honest mistake, uh, relatively minor. I paid the 2800 bucks. I took responsibility. And I've talked to voters, Democratic voters, who have been very concerned about that ethics violation. Some of them, they're still backing Hickenlooper. It doesn't take away from the other things they think he's done well. But voters were really paying attention to that. Well, that has been like the main ad. Like every time I turn on a TV or my, I watch YouTube on in Colorado, it's Hickenlooper ethics violation, some ad along those lines. Hickenlooper took illegal gifts, traveled by corporate jet, toured Europe illegally in a Maserati. I will say the other area That's where I thought Hickenlooper should have had a better answer, probably been a little bit more prepared, was the court packing question on the Supreme Court. You know, I think by the, by the I last... I thought he was pretty good on that. I think by the last... Last debate, he had a much better answer on what it. What did he say? Basically, you know, if you elect me, then this won't be an issue because what we really need are new people there who won't change the um, the precedents. Uh, make sure you get, you know, new senators in place, new people, uh, and I think that will change the institution more than immediately changing the rules. Hmm. But, they, yeah. but that's not a very clear. Biden himself hasn't given a clear answer on that because they don't want to. Right. Exactly. And but but I think. When you know that there's going to be a topic that that's that sort of foremost on people's minds right now, or at least on sort of our minds, and that they're going to get asked this. And even Gardner tried to ask this of, you know, Gardner tried to wear the moderator hat a couple of times uh-huh. in these debates and try to ask, try to pin down Hickenlooper on this on this question. You know, you need to develop an answer that is succinct and that gets you like there and out, right? Like, I will consider everything. I will nothing's off the table. Whatever it is, or or just say no. I don't support it. But you know, given what Republicans have done, I will have to consider it. Whatever the answer would be, but mm. like, I think he needed an answer. See, I thought he did a pretty good job pivoting out of that because we knew he didn't want to answer it, and he didn't answer it. But I, I think he did okay. And I, I don't want to negate that there were many moments during the debates where Gardner also evaded answering questions, and. We knew that would happen. And some of those instances happened when moderators asked Gardner about his support for the president. Well, speaking of the president, if anyone is wondering if Colorado is still purplish when it comes to the presidential race, I think we have an answer based on who the campaigns are sending to Colorado. That's right. Let's rewind to 2016. I saw Hillary Clinton. I saw Donald Trump in person. We had several visits, and actually Trump was at the National Western Center in Denver just a matter of days before the election, November 5th, the Saturday. And I looked at my article on this. What he said was, we are going to win Colorado. (laughs) And here's the other thing that didn't really turn out to be true. The country is not going to be divided for long. This year, uh, we haven't seen hide nor hair of either of the presidential candidates. True. I mean, I think the pandemic is part of that, but then mm-hmm. also another larger part is that we're not seen as a presidential swing state. And I remember back in 2012 where I was almost tired of seeing Mitt Romney and President Barack Obama. You know, they came here. <laughs> One time Romney had an evening rally at Red Rocks and the next morning Obama had a rally in Denver to park. So that is not the case this cycle. Um, we have had s- some visits for sure. We had President Trump's a victory bus. And that was in Windsor. It was the night he accepted 
the Republican nomination yeah. for president. And then mm-hmm. the bus made a few stops along the front range, ended in Pueblo. But now, is that the victory bus or just a victory bus? There were a couple going <laughs> so across the country. we didn't even get the only one. And um, Mike Pence's nephew, John Pence, was one of the main speakers and some other top campaign mm-hmm. advisors. And then a few days ago, I was at an event with Kamala Harris's husband, Doug Emhoff, and he talked to three people who were voting for the first time. Sorry, three people in total? Yes. So it wasn't like this big event and not many members of the media were there. Yeah. Well, so I went to a bigger event than the one that you went to. It was a Biden-Harris drive-in rally in Denver. Mm. There were about 60 cars and one antique fire truck Mm. um, in the parking lot of a high school, uh, Denver East High School, about a block away from the city, one of the city's largest parks here. Uh And it was definitely different. I mean, people were socially distanced in their cars, so you didn't really hear like applause or laughter or any of that. And they were listening to a whole host of Democratic speakers who were, you know, trying to get everyone excited about going out to vote. Mm -hmm. So instead of the clapping and the cheers that you would normally hear at a rally, listen to Denver area Representative Diana DeGette as she tried to sort of rev up the crowd. Now, can you flash your lights and honk your horn? Woo! Okay. At the same time. (laughs) Scratch your head and rub your belly. (laughs) So, but that was it. It was a lot of horn honking and and flashing of Mm. lights. And I mean, it sounds quiet right there. That was the stage mic. This is what it sounds like where I was standing. My ears were hurting by the end of the event. I had a little bit of a headache. Um, So it was loud. But I'm not sure events like this are really kind of resonating as as fun and as kitschy as they kind of are. Andy, what are you hearing from voters about events like this? Are are they on their minds? Is it what are they telling you about the race? I don't think that anybody is really attending these events. I mean, like how many cars can you fit in a parking lot to honk? It's more to create the display of doing an event. It's not so Mm -hmm. much about the traditional thing of fitting tens of thousands of people in an arena and getting them revved up. I mean, right. There was a person, I still remember it because it ended up being a great story. I mentioned this Romney-Obama rallies. I I talked to a voter who was undecided who went to the Romney rally. The next day went to the Obama rally. And we were lucky because we were a state that had these candidates coming, Mm -hmm. but that helped him make his mind up. And then I interviewed him after the fact. But those, you're right, those events were actually thousands of people and, uh, you know, a, a sense of community and hearing from the candidate. And, yeah. you know, we, we're not seeing that this cycle. Part of it, like you said, is the pandemic. Can't really hold that big of an event, although the Trump campaign is. The other part is, again, just not much of a swing state at this point. We're getting the relatives of the vice presidential candidates. But potentially the the first second gentleman of the United States. The first gentleman. <laughs> Yeah, but what? true. I mean, the, 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 the first second gentleman. The first second gentleman. Sorry, yes. <laughs> the first second gentleman. <laughs> but we did get one, at least, high-level visit. Um, Trump did pay a quick virtual tour to Colorado. He joined a call that Republican Lauren Boebert had with supporters. She's running for Congress in the 3rd Congressional District. Her campaign dubbed it a tele-rally. It was about six minutes long, which, if you ask me, is kind of short for a rally. Wow. <laughs> um, but in this call, Trump spoke for about four minutes. He called her a diehard conservative and expressed his support for her candidacy. The Oval Office right now, and uh, there's no way that I wouldn't do it for you. I've been watching you, and I've been talking to you, and uh, you're a winner, and Colorado's a winner, and they're a winner. I will also say he put in a plug for Republican Cory Gardner, and he even mentioned um, his, of course, his own accomplishments, and he tried to cast Boebert's Democratic opponent, Diane Mitch Bush, as, well, you can listen to how he cast her. Diane Mitch Bush is a far-left college professor who supports Socialist proposals all the time. She almost votes with uh, Bernie Sanders and she votes with 
Nancy Pelosi virtually 100 percent of the time. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that Mitch Bush is not in Congress and hasn't been in Congress. So she doesn't you know, mm-hmm. vote with Nancy Pelosi. But it's I think it's what we're seeing is efforts to try to nationalize these races as much as we can. Mitch Bush was in the state legislature. And like a lot of lawmakers in Colorado, she worked across the aisle on a number of things. But that doesn't necessarily change how how people are characterizing it. And, you know, Cory Gardner was in the legislature. And when he first began as a state lawmaker was the year that Democrats took control of both chambers of the legislature and the governor's office. Um, Gardner passed bills and he mm-hmm. had to work with Democrats to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, though, Andy, you know, now that ballots are pouring in, you know, are there undecided voters out there? You've been talking yes. to them this week. The the rare The rare thing known as the undecided voter does still exist. I stopped by the high bid auto shop on Sheridan Boulevard in unincorporated Jeffco. And I actually stopped in because they had a, an enormous billboard about one of the uh, ballot measures hmm. right on top of them. And I wanted to see what they thought of it. But I ran into Joe Panetta and it's his family business. And the way he put it was he was a Trump voter in 2016. He gave me uh, the line you hear quite often about kind of liking what he, not always liking what he says, but liking mm-hmm. what he does. Yep. But he seemed thoroughly undecided. He actually surprisingly likes both candidates and it seems like he's going down to the wire. I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. And I asked him what what it was going to take him to actually make up his mind. Oh my God, I got to go in there. I got to go somewhere in a dark room and just scream is what I got to do. And then hopefully when I'm coming out, I got a decision to make that, you know, that the best man win. You know what I mean? I think I sit on the sidelines with many Americans. A lot of people are sitting there like in awe right now. Really. I'm curious if he's not sold on the president and voting for the president again, why not? He didn't point out anything he particularly disliked about Trump. You know, he didn't home in on the coronavirus or anything. Um, He said that his big thing was wanting to see what you've done and what you've accomplished. And it seemed like he actually had positive feelings about both candidates. That is a very unique voter. Yes, that is. I like the the idea of a primal scream and then deciding, having that flash of recognition, this is who I'm going to vote for. You know, (laughs) I think what part of it was, like, he mentions uh, feeling like he's on the sidelines. And it's that this is a voter who's gone both ways in the past and now sees the level of vitriol between parties and doesn't really know what to believe, I think. I think I've seen fewer voters who were undecided on the presidential race, but I've talked to many more who were undecided on the Senate race and maybe, you know, farther down the ballot. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Benta. The, the Coloradans I've been talking to, presidential, they know it's it's down ballot. There's still wiggle room, I think, and, and a place where candidates can still make their case. That's definitely the biggest question here in Colorado is what happens after the top of the ballot. And even though a lot of people are already voting around the country and in Colorado, things change so rapidly and we don't know what's going to happen in the next week or two that could change the trajectory of any of these races. So speaking of people already starting to vote, um, you know, ballots have gone out. They're starting to get returned as of October 14th. About 300,000 ballots have been returned in the state. Um, About 46 percent are registered Democrats. Thirty three percent are unaffiliated and 19 percent Republicans, registered Mm. Republicans. What do you guys think of those numbers? Well, that is uh, a very early number. So it's going to be hard to draw too many conclusions. But that would seem to show a lot of Democratic votes coming in early. And the question is why? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of enthusiasm on the Democratic side from certain people. Just they cannot wait to vote (laughs) in this election and vote against the president. Um, This is a pretty high rate of return already for, for this 
early in the voting process. Mm-hmm. I've talked to some Republicans who were planning to vote by mail, but maybe some people are waiting till later to drop them off. And keep in mind, we've got such a long ballot with so many initiatives. Yep. That also takes time. So I guess I don't want to draw too many conclusions other than we can say we're seeing some Democratic enthusiasm. Yeah, it's an interesting reversal of the usual trend, which is that we see Republicans in general vote in high numbers early in the race and Democrats catch up a little bit later. So as to why Democrats might be coming in so strongly early, again, could be enthusiasm, but we should keep in mind it could be maybe it's just there's more ballot boxes uh, for dropping ballots off, or maybe Republicans are feeling more distrustful of the mail. Yeah, well, and I, but I, I think this is this goes to sort of that last point is the Republicans, at least when the top of your ticket has been making all these claims against voting by mail, are we starting to see some of that? And I know, you know, while Trump has made these claims, other Republicans have said we want our voters to vote by mail as well. We yeah. want them to return these ballots, and I'm wondering if. If maybe that is part of why the numbers are so low for Republicans right now, it'd be it's, interesting. I it's mean, a really good question, but we know that Republican many Republicans here have strong faith, especially in the ballot drop box system. So, I don't know. We'll have to see how other states behave, and we'll have to see what happens here in Colorado over the next few weeks. True. That, I mean, maybe people's actions are different than what they're saying because locally <laughs> people are saying that they they do feel comfortable with our voting system. Mm. The county clerks haven't done this before, but they even put out an informational video to try to dispel some of the yeah. misinformation out there. Well, as long as we're speculating, maybe Republicans are still undecided about those bottom of the ballot races, or have more questions about. You know, point being. There's a lot of factors. I wouldn't read too much into this yet. You mean what? We'll have to wait? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's true. (laughs) Which gets us to our favorite part. Wait, what? I have one, and it's kind of a cautionary, wait, what? Hmm. There have been early and unsubstantiated and, and probably outright false reports on social media of voter intimidation happening at the polls, of shadowy militant style figures Mm -hmm. being in Denver neighborhoods standing outside ballot boxes. They have not panned out. The governor actually held a press conference today to say that they weren't panning out. So my advice is to wait before you really buy into that kind of thing. I I think so. I think my wait what would be to encourage people in the next few weeks to just do their own wait what anytime (laughs) they see stuff. You know, if, if it seems... That you're reading something and you're you're thinking to yourself, no way, this couldn't possibly be happening. Mm-hmm. You know, do a double check, do a fact check, see where the original source is across the political spectrum. It doesn't matter what it is because we're going to be seeing even more and more misinformation mm-hmm. to continue to just really flood people in the next few weeks. That's right. And what's ironic is that these concerns and and it's valid to have concerns about disenfranchisement may actually be driving this record voting. We heard from the Secretary of State just now that. Early turnout was 24 times higher than what it was at this point in 2016. It, part of that wow. is enthusiasm about the race. Part of that is just people are determined to have their vote counted. They've heard so much about all the ways it might not be counted. They're just yeah. That early. that, that yeah. message of vote early, I think, is resonating with a lot of people. Exactly. Well, that's going to be it for this episode of Purplish. I'm Caitlin Kim with my colleagues Benta Brooklyn and Andrew Kenny. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a CPR member and join today at CPR.org. And if you're enjoying Purplish, help others find us. Like and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. 
And to keep up with everything we've talked about this week and more, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Benta Brookland. I'm at Andy K-N-N-Y. And I'm at Caitlin Kim. We'll be in your feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News.